Callie Wilkes was proud of herself. She had a little succulent plant that she put in her office. It was in a little pot, and she was so proud because it was looking so good. She had watered it every day. She wiped the dust off of the leaves every week, and it just seemed to be thriving. And she thought, maybe I'm holding it back by having it in such a little pot. I'm going to repot it. She was very dismayed when she pulled it out and found that it was a plastic plant attached to a piece of styrofoam with dirt sprinkled on top. She believed it was a live plant, but it just wasn't. John Thomas believed he needed to do something special for his wife. It was her 40th birthday. He'd given her her big gift but they were having a dinner party that night with several friends over, and she wanted a, he wanted to have a small gift for her. He rummaged around in a, a, a store, and he found there a music box. He opened the blue one, and it played, Happy Birthday to You. He thought, this is perfect. She'll love this. And it was a simple gift, but it was a nice gift. And, but he knew she didn't like blue, so he picked the red one. And he brought it to, uh, had it wrapped and brought it in to her, to the party. And after dinner, they were opening gifts and everybody was surprised when she opened it up, how beautiful it is. And she opened it and it began to play the old gray mare. She ain't what she used to be. You know, he, he believed it would be a good gift, but he was wrong. There's a lot of things that we believe sometimes that are manifestly just untrue and so we get mixed up in fact there's a verse in the bible that says proverbs 14 12 there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death so you may think it's right to give your wife a music box but if you give her one that plays the old gray mare it's going to lead to death you can be assured of that but we're thinking about belief you know, you can believe things are true, and some are, and you can believe something that's not true. Today we want to continue our series called Why I Believe, because we're thinking about things that relate to God that we need to believe. And last week we talked about the fact that God was creator. We talked about why I believe God is creator. You can watch that on, the, uh, on our website if you missed it last week. Today we're going to think about the topic of why I believe the Bible is God's Word. So uh, I want to raise a question today. Why should we believe the Bible is God's Word? You know, I've heard people say, well, uh, it's just another book. It was written by men. Uh, it's full of myths and mystery. It's too hard to understand. Why bother? We don't need the Bible. You know, those statements are really half-truths. It is a book, but it's not just another book. It's God's Word. It was written down by men, but those men were inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. It is full of some mystery. In fact, the Bible it says, itself says there is a mystery, but it says that mystery is revealed to us in Christ. It is a little hard to understand in some places but it's not uncomprehendable. Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. It is an amazing book. 
And you know, Satan will try to take you away from this book. He will try to plant these half-truths in your head. <clears throat> Jesus said of him, he is a liar and a murderer. That's what he wants to do. He wants to deceive you and take you away from God's Word, take you away from God, and prevent you from a living eternally with God in His paradise. But we have this book. We have this Bible. This will override Satan. This will lead you into God's truth. It reveals His character and His nature and why we should want to be with Him and get to know Him. This book shows us the way to a relationship with God. So if you have a Bible or if you have it on your cell phone, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. We're going to actually read verse 14 through 17, uh, but we're going to focus on verse 16. And uh, we're going to dig in here to this writing. Tim, uh, Paul was writing, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to this young minister named Timothy. And Timothy was at a church in Ephesus helping that church. And he's reminding Timothy to hold fast to the Scripture, to the Word of God. And because the Scripture reveals God's wisdom and shows us the way of salvation and provides what we need to live the life that God has called us to. So let's read this a little bit here, beginning at verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, I say verse 16 is our focus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for rebuking, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let's think for a little bit about this book we call the Bible, the Word of God. You know, the Bible is the revelation of God's relationship with people from the beginning through the time of the apostles. Takes us all the way through. It says here, all Scripture. You know, doesn't it make sense, if you think about it, that if there is this God who created the universe, that He would give us a written record of what He wants us to know? Back in the day of the Bible, folks, the only way to communicate was either verbally or in writing. Now, you could do some hand gestures, I suppose, but you're not going to make anybody believe in God through hand, hand gestures, probably. They didn't have computers or video or text or tweets or Instagram photos or even a camera to take a picture. So they wrote things down. They wrote down the revelation of God. Revelation means the divine message. And this message of this book takes us all the way from the beginning of time, the creation of the world, all the way through God's apostles planting churches and building those churches up, and then they gave us the New Testament part of the Scripture. 
Now, I know when you hear the word Scripture, some people think about all religious writings and all kinds of different faiths, like the Koran of the, uh, of the Muslims, or the Vedas of the Hindus, or the Tipitaka of the Buddhists, or even the Jews had a writing other than the Old Testament. They had what's called the Talmud. And so, but he's not talking about that here. He's talking about the Holy Scriptures, the Scriptures that come from God. In fact, at the time of the writing of this letter, they didn't really have the New Testament. Some of the letters that are included in here were written, and they were circulating among the churches, but they had not been put into a formal unit yet. Really, all they had when he refers to Scriptures is the Old Testament part of our Bible. You know, the Bible is given to us in two testaments. They record two covenants that God basically made with His people. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, has to do with, uh, with God saying, I'm going to be your people, or your God, you're going to be my people. And He gave them the law to help bring them from a lawless society to a place where they came to understand some of the requirements that God had for His people and how He wanted them to worship Him. It brought them out of the darkness a little bit so they would come to see some of the light of God. But God knew that His people would violate that covenant. And they did. In Jeremiah, He said, You continue on, I'm going to bring a new covenant. And He did, and that's the New Testament. And the new covenant was for all people, not just for the Jewish people. It was for all of mankind who would place their faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And they would... They would be given grace. It was a covenant of grace, which is forgiveness of sins. You know, if you put the two together, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they take us, uh, there are 39, in the Old Te 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 books, and they take us through God's story. They take us all the way through the creation. They take us through what we call the fall of man, where Adam and Eve had the first sin. They take us through the establishment of the Hebrew people as a nation of Israel and, and the covenant that God gave them and, and, and their journey along the way, their ups and their downs, their, their failings and, and their doing goods. And then God brought the new covenant. He sent His Son and the New Testament records the coming of Jesus, the establishment of the apostles and the and the building up of the church. It even gives us a little bit about the end times of, of this earth and, and helps us come to understand that one day uh, all the believers in Jesus Christ are going to go to be in a new heaven and a new earth. The theme throughout the whole Bible is simply this, how to have the right relationship with God. And He reveals that to us through time and through history. He also reveals to us the ultimate punishment for not believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and the ultimate rewards from believing in Jesus Christ. You know, God is pretty straightforward in His Word. He doesn't really hide anything. He points out the sins of even people who were dedicated and devoted to Him. He points out that, that there are good people and there are bad people and that nobody's perfect and that we all need a Savior. 
But you know what? He, he also points us back to this book to gain the information that we need. Some of you may have the book at your house called Conversations with God. Many people think it's a, it's a really good book. It's written by a man named Neil Donald Walsh. And Walsh says that God has these conversations with him, and he's written them down, and he shares them with the world. It was a best-selling book, some 2.5 million copies sold. But in one of his conversations, he reveals what his belief system is based on. Listen to this conversation, supposedly with God. This is God speaking. I cannot tell you my truth until you stop telling me yours. Walsh. But my truth about God comes from you. God, who said so? Walsh. Others. God, what others? Walsh. Well, leaders and ministers and rabbis and priests and books and the Bible, for heaven's sake. God. Those are not authoritative sources. Walsh. They aren't? God. No. Walsh. Then what is? God, listen to your feelings. Listen to your highest thoughts. Listen to your experience. Whenever any one of these differ from what you've been told by your teachers or read in your books, forget the other people's words. You know, Walsh is saying, you just be your own God. Just listen to yourself. You know, that's a sign of the times. Everybody wants to create this God that they can be comfortable with, that, that they can live with, that will condone whatever behavior they have. But it's not true. This book speaks against it. It tells us to listen to God. And it provides for us a picture of who that God is and what He wants to do in our lives. Let's don't buy into the thought, just listen to yourself and be your own God. Now, I want to take you to a second point here. The various human authors of the Bible attest to God's inspiring their words. Over and over in the, New, in the Old Testament, part of the Bible, the authors there claimed that God spoke to them and gave them the words to write down. Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. He spent 40 days on Mount Sinai with God and God spoke to him, gave him words to teach the Hebrew people to help them establish their nation and become the people and taught them how to worship. He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. You go on to the prophets, many of them used the phrase uh, in the old King James Bible, it said, Thus saith the Lord, indicating that this is what God said. That's the way it uh, is interpreted in in our NIV version, which is in the Pew Bible, and the Bible I preach from, this is what the Lord says, they said. And God spoke to them and gave them the words. Jesus said that the Bible was the Word of God. By His day, it was often referred to as the Word. That was in the first century A.D. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Your Word, talking to God, is truth. So Jesus believed that the Word of God was truth. And Jesus went on to say, I'm giving words to the apostles that they will use to build my church. In John 16, 13, it tells us that he called 12 men and designated them as apostles. That word 
means heralds, those that proclaim something. They were to go out and tell the good news. But listen to what Jesus told those apostles in Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's referring to the Old Testament. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah that all came true in the life of Jesus. That really points to the fact that the Old Testament was true because what it said would happen happened in Jesus. Verse 45, Then he opened up their minds, the apostles, so they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what to say. You're going to go out and witness for me. But you wait. There's a power coming. In John chapter 14, he tells them what that power is. John 14, verse 26. But the advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said to you. So we believe that these scriptures in the New Testament, that, that the apostles and their cohorts wrote down, are part of uh, what God wanted them to say. In fact, Ephesians 3.20 says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The Old Testament and the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, you think about the church when the apostles established it. Uh, it was around 30 A.D. when Jesus was taken up. He was crucified, resurrected, taken up to heaven. And within 40 years the church had spread pretty much to the whole Roman Empire, which was the known world pretty much in that day. Within 40 years. They did all that without a computer, without a car, without an airplane, without text messaging, without Twitter, without um, Instagram. They didn't even have a camera to take pictures. How'd they do it? Through preaching and through the writings that became our New Testament. Every book that is in our New Testament has what we call apostolic authority. That is, it was either written by an apostle or one of their associates, and it was all written within a time when they were mostly alive and they could refute anything that was not lined up with the way of God. That's why we have these books in our New Testament. Jesus confirmed that the Old Testament was the Word of God, and He taught the apostles, and they confirmed that what is written in the New Testament is for us. And all that is to help reveal God to us so we know how to follow Him. Most of the New Testament was written within about a 20-year a period. Toward the end of that 40 years, from about A.D. 48 up to 
about A.D. 67 and put together and compiled so that we would have a record of what God desires for our lives. So, it's all God-breathed. It came through the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter said about that. In, uh, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven, and we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star, that is Jesus, rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but Prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed the words into them, as the Apostle Paul said. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, there's a third thing I want you to think about. The Holy Spirit gives believers the ability to discern truth. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. You know, when anybody places their faith in Jesus Christ, when they confess Him as Lord and Savior, they repent of sin, they are baptized, the Bible says they receive the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them. Uh, That Spirit comes from God, and that Spirit is a guide. It is given to direct us into the things of God. It gives you abilities that you can use for God called spiritual gifts. But it also gives us a power of discernment. When applied, we can tell the difference between truth and non-truth. Satan's half-truths especially. But you know what? We cannot pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject merely to human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, when you have that Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, you have this power of discernment, which comes from the mind of the Lord. It it enables us to understand the truth and think more like Him 
as we strive to live our lives. You know, Paul's words there were given to correct the Corinthian church because they'd gotten off track a little bit in their church. They were, they were doing things that, that were more of the way of the world rather than the way of God. That's why the word is so important. It's so important because it helps us really to stay on track with what God wants us to do. And some people say, well, I just follow the Spirit. But the Bible also teaches there are deceiving spirits out there and that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So you may think you're hearing uh, the Spirit talk to you and it may be an evil spirit. How do we know? If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's not from the Spirit of God because the two work in tandem to bring us the message of God. And you know, sometimes we can take God's Word and we can twist it a little bit and make it a little ambiguous so we can get out of, in our own mind, doing what God calls us to do. Lee Strobel makes this illustration. He says, Consider a young girl, 16 years old, going out on a date with her boyfriend. She's getting ready to leave the house, and her dad says, uh, Be home by 11 o'clock. Be home before 11 o'clock. So she goes out with her boyfriend. They're having a good time. They're out at one of the local establishments having a Coke, and it gets to be 10.45. She looks at her watch. She looks at him, and she begins to think out loud with her boyfriend, what did my dad mean by be home before 11 o'clock? Was he talking in a general sense, she said? Does he mean us? Or he's just talking about all people. Should all people kind of be home before 11 o'clock? Or around 11 o'clock? Does it mean literally? Does it mean us? Or does he just mean in general, most people when they go out, they're home before 11 o'clock? Or was he just making a general observation? And what did he mean by you must be home by 11? Would a loving father... Uh, be so adamant and so inflexible, he probably just meant it as a suggestion. I know he loves me, and isn't, isn't it important for me to have a good time? And if he loves me, doesn't he want me to have a good time? Would he want me to leave when I'm having such a good time? And what did he mean? I, you must be home before 11. He didn't specify who's home. And after all, remember that old saying, home is where your heart is? My heart's right here, so I'm already home. What does he mean by be home before 11? What did he really mean by that? I mean, what time zone was he talking about? We're in Eastern time. Was he talking about Central time or... Man, if, if we were in Hawaii, it's only a quarter till seven. And 11, did he mean 11 p.m. or 11 a.m.? He didn't specify. And you know, come to think about it, no matter what time it is, it's always there's another 11 that you could go. So we could stay here all night and be home by 11 at some point. Anyway, you get the gist. You know, people do that with the Scripture. They twist it. That's Satan's half-truths. 
He'll whisper in your ear to do that. God was not ambiguous when he gave us his word. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us discern what he means by the word. Paul gave them his writings along with the other writings, the New Testament, to help us understand in this new covenant and how to relate to the old covenant what God desires for his people. Listen, believe this book. This book is the truth of God given for us. There's a little girl on an airplane. She's reading the Bible. Businessman sitting right beside her. She closes up her Bible and sighs a little bit. And the man says, what are you doing? She says, I'm reading the Bible. Really? Do you believe that book? Yes, sir, I do. My Sunday school teacher said it was the truth. He said, well, what are you reading in your Bible? She says, I'm reading about Jonah and the whale. And the man says, you mean to tell me you believe that a man, Jonah, was swallowed by a whale, spit up on dry land, and went and preached to a whole big city and turned them to the Lord? Yes, I do. My preacher and my Sunday school teacher both say that it's true, and I've heard both of them talk about it, and I believe that it's true. And he said, well, how do you really know? She said, well, I'll tell you what. When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah if it's true. And the man said, well, what if you get to heaven and Jonah's not there? She said, then you ask him where you're going. (laughs) You know, this book gives you the information to know how to get where the little girl was going and where we all want to be. Here's our connection. The more we read and study the Bible, the more God's truth is made real to us. You know, the Bible brings us the gospel message. Gospel means good news. It's the good news that even though we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that God wants to have a relationship with us and save us. And He sent His Son to die on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sins and that by believing in Him we can have a new life, a forgiven life, and be in a right relationship with God. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ, through the Word of God, through the Scriptures, through the Holy Bible. I want to read you a story as we close from a gentleman. He says, I thought that success was going to be the solution for my personal problems. But success only made it ache within me all the more. My marriage to my beautiful wife, Julie, was now began to suffer. My kids were beginning to have problems. I needed something bigger than me. That day, I took the Gideon Bible from the hotel room and I, that I was staying in, and I began to read it. Little did I know that what an awesome and wonderful, life-changing step I had taken. The Bible became alive to me as I read it. God's Word helped me recognize the emptiness and the lack of peace in my life was caused by my need to know my Creator. God was not against me, but He was for me. And He desired to bless my life through His Son, Jesus. 
I ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart and give me a new beginning. And my life has never been the same. That happened through the Word of God. It's happened over and over again that lives have been changed by the Word of God. Sometimes people telling people, sometimes people reading the Word of God. You know, there was a movement some years ago to put a sticker. People didn't like what the Bible said. They wanted to put a sticker on the Gideon Bible in the hotel rooms that said, Caution, this reading this can be life-changing. wanted a warning on there. It's true. It's changed my life. It's changed a lot of your lives. And the Bible will continue to change lives because it is the truth of God. And if you read it and you accept what it says, you will find the rewards that God wants to lead you into as He leads you in this life and leads you into eternity with Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. It's a wonderful book. Yes, it, 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 uh, it was written down by men, but they were inspired by you. Yes, it, it is sometimes has some mystery in it, but you cleared all that up in your son Jesus Christ. Yes, it is sometimes hard to understand, but Father, if we apply ourselves and we have that Holy Spirit living in us, you will reveal the truth of that word to us and use it to make our lives grow so we come more and more to see the realness of your truth. So I pray today, Father, you make us people of the book. You help us to know that this is your word, this is your way, and this will bring us to salvation and eternal life in heaven. We pray today through Christ. Amen.